0: You're listening to the Contract Heroes Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things contract management. And now here are your hosts, Mark and Pepe.
1: Hello, everybody. My name is Mark Doucette. I'm the CEO at Coho Consulting. With me, I have my co-host, Pepe. And uh, today we're going to be doing just a couple of interviews. You know, I, I really thank you guys for being with us during this lunch hour. I know there was plenty of other speakers to go listen to, uh, <laughs> but you chose us. So I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> so during this these couple of next conversations we're going to be trying to stay as focused on on CLM implementations as we can that's that's what our business is we're partnered with a couple of vendors here we we do help them with implementations help our customers to make sure that they get a system that they're actually going to be able to use want to use and and have user adoption with so we brought Mary up and you know we're going to have about 10 minutes here to to have a quick conversation and the first question that I wanted to ask her was you know when it comes to your customers and folks that have you've seen implementations done for how do you see them being successful when you know taking a phased approach instead of trying to do everything all at once
2: yeah we, we talked about this a bit this morning already but it's just the idea of getting all your stakeholders aligned at the same time and trying to roll out one solution and saying hey this is going to be good for everyone is You know, honestly, a bit unrealistic. You're never going to have everyone on the same page. You're never going to have everyone focused on the same set of features or must have requirements as the top things for the whole company. Everyone's got their own, like, this is what works for me and what, you know, what I want for my day to day. And change management is hard. This is something that affects so many parts of the company. So instead of trying, I think, to get everyone aligned and to spend a year doing that, you know, stakeholder alignment, business requirements gathering, change management process, is to just start small and even if it's a pilot with just find the group that is willing to work with you that trusts you and roll something out that is successful start with something simple i can from personal experience we've tried like let's do the most complicated template and contract and then everything will be easy from there well big mistake cuz you're gonna, yeah you're going to have to learn from you know starting small and then increase the complexity as you go along. That's definitely... It, it's all a learning process. It's all bringing people along. So if you're successful with something to start with and other people can see that, what you will find is another team or even that team itself will be like, Oh, our NDAs are so much better now. Yeah, I don't have to deal with it. Hey, this other contract is also really annoying. Let's get together and templatize that and put that into a workflow.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's a fantastic place to start. And you know, another question I have is... is you know, when we talk about departments, right? And do you see, you know, more success when, you know, hey, let's start with legal, let's start in the legal department, or, or if maybe the bigger issue is is with procurement contracts, and trying to focus in one of those areas before trying to do both at the same time.
2: Contracts are not necessarily owned by one team anymore. And we see that it's, Organized in every possible size and shape as a center of excellence. It's owned by procurement. It's owned by legal. It's owned by everybody. It's owned by nobody, honestly. And I think it's less about like who needs to own it. And and Lucy said it really well. It's defining the roles and responsibility. If you're working with a legal team, if you're part of a legal ops function, you know that is your clientele. You want to understand what their needs are. But it, it it's really about finding the right place to start. So within legal, let's say they have a really good relationship with the procurement team and the procurement team is really hungry for a better solution, maybe that's the place to start. On the other hand, maybe procurement's like, hey, you know what? We have our own procurement solution and it's our repository and it works fine. Go away. And sales is like, oh my God, we would love to accelerate revenue. Well, then start there. You know, Find what works best for your company.
3: Yeah. And from the implementation side, I would say that, well, for the sole reason that everybody's here... Everybody knows why, I mean, why a CLM is important for our organization. But being working for over 150 implementation projects, like we've seen that some companies that they have decided, they have the budget to implement a CLM. But I cannot stress how important it is to work with a consultant that can help you with the pre-implementation process. Because we've seen a lot of the times that there's companies, they already want to kick off. But then they they reach out to us and it's like, "Okay, you tell me what should we implement right. And it's like it doesn't work like that. you know like you get to have your processes and because if if you don't have that type of work, it's gonna be hard to you know have somebody that it doesn't know how your it works inside the company Certainly. to know how it's going to be more effective, right?
2: Yeah, I think it's a balance there's certainly, you can over-rotate to like trying to be over and getting all your templates harmonized and everything all ready and cleaned and metadata tagged before you're ready to move. I think that is also the same mistake of like trying to boil the ocean and doing all the same contracts, you know, all at once. You do need to just jump in and get started at some point and learn from that because you'll be like, oh, I wasted all this time doing everything when now we learned we have to change it all. Uh, So do you see any,
3: you know, like how can organizations ensure that they are effectively monitoring and managing their contracts to ensure compliance and maximize value? Like there's any other kind of recommendation, like common elements that organizations can start? Monitoring
2: Well, we're here at a CLM conference. So mm-hmm. clearly you need a CLM. I mean, it's very it's very difficult to do otherwise, right? Someone said earlier, you have to review everything. You have to monitor everything if you don't have controls in place. And the best way to have controls in place and get human error out of it is to put systems in place. Oh, and I remembered your original question, which was, can you have systems in place without taking the time to figure out your processes? Well, you know, it's kind of impossible. You you can't just say, come in here, Coho Consulting, and help me automate this process. And you're like, well... What is the process? Oh, we do it fifteen different ways to Sunday. Well, you can't automate that. We have to think through in that process map. What's the journey? What should it look like? What's the decision tree? You got to do a little bit of work.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and you know that's something that you know obviously we can help with from a certain perspective. But it's fantastic that you know Law is around and in, in doing things to to really help organizations make sure that when they do decide that it's time to implement a CLM, that they can really hit the ground running and and have everything ready to go for that implementation and that. Helps dramatically, and Mary, I think the last thing that we wanted to, to just touch on here was regarding AI, right? And we know that Ironclad is is rolling out something that's that's going to be new. It's going to be innovative, and you know, how do you see that helping customers from uh, an immediate impact?
2: The AI that is that is here today is very different than the AI that was here a year ago. It is impacting your actual day-to-day work. And I think that is a really significant difference. And it's there's substance behind all the hype that existed in the past. So when it changes the way that you're working day-to-day, and we're not talking about like every so often I need to find something and the AI is helping me do that, but you're negotiating a contract. Like that's the 80% of the role and responsibility that you should have. And if that's changing, that's made easier, that's facilitated, you're not doing mundane work. The expectations that you have for your day job immediately go way up. And you start taking that for granted, frankly. You know, all the technology we have in our day to day consumer lives, we can't imagine going back to a life where you can't just look up the weather or, you know, I don't know, all the things that just happen easily now. Think about then going to a new job, though, you know, and someone says, you're used to doing all this with tools and with process and with AI. You don't have to do all this copy pasting and maintaining stuff in email and, and on Excel spreadsheets anymore. And then you go to your new job and they go, Oh yeah, we don't have tools for that. We do things. It works fine the way it is. Would you tolerate that? I mean, our expectations are so high right now that people wouldn't wouldn't be okay with that. And so that's putting so much more pressure on our industry to modernize and change because it's going to be that's the, gonna be the bar. I mean, that's what people will expect when they come to work, and that's what your clients, your internal business partners will expect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thanks,
1: all right, you all, thanks, Mary. Mary. And next, uh, that's going to be joining us is going to be Laura Frederick, and she is the founder at uh, at How to Contract. Also yeah. had a a wonderful event a few weeks ago, so you know maybe we can kind of kick things <laughs> off, and and you can give everybody a little bit of background on you know what that event was about, and and you know what you're actively working on.
4: Yeah. So I'm um, Laura Frederick. I started a company called How to Contract about. Two years ago, after 25 plus years being at large law firms in house, I was uh, commercial contracts at Tesla. That was my last job before I left in 2019. So I lived a life of commercial contracts, and now I focus on helping people learn and not from an academic perspective, but really like what do we actually do every day when you work as in house counsel, when you work as contract managers. So our big event was Contracts Con which was just a fun celebration. We called it an extravaganza because it was really about, you know, coming together, networking, people connecting, having just a great time for all of those of us who love contracts.
3: So Laura, we know that you are an expert in genealogization contracts, right? But I'm pretty sure that you've seen some, you know, commercial lawyers talking about CLM. Like, what do you think are like the, Things that they're asking you, or or maybe what's like the main questions that commercial lawyers have regarding CLI?
4: Yeah, what I see is it's this unknown. It's supposed to help, it's going to automate, but how do we go from here to there where it's going to be protecting the company? Because I think as commercial lawyers, that's our job. We protect the company and we use risk management to protect the company. We use our knowledge and expertise, whether we're in-house counsel or contract managers. And so I think there's a promise of it helping, but it's being able to see the vision of, well, then how are you going to manage risk? Because everything is, it depends. And how can a system know the hundred factors I consider in whether I'm going to give this limit of liability or or not, or whether we're going to do this kind of indemnification? Right now, that's a real soft knowledge base that is... And so I think that's what I usually hear. It's like, how do we get from here to there on the CLM?
3: Right. And I think this is going to be make a lot of sense since we've been discussing about law review, legal re- review policies. But do you think companies are over-contracting? And if you do, like... What do you think will be like the best way to reverse this?
4: Yeah, and I think there is a lot of, that's those 20-page NDAs, that's the 100-page document. I mean, those are representative of overcontracting. Or during negotiations, when companies just have to like, we trade template versions of a limit of liability. You know, somebody sends their form, we redline it based on our playbook, we send that back You know, and then we're kind of at the same spot like, okay, what do we do? How are we going to come together? And that's where, I mean, my bias is always about training because I think training is the key to be able to negotiate these things. And so I think, you know, as lawyers, as contract managers, it's a little bit like deer in the headlights sometimes that we're asked to review things, we're asked to do things that are beyond our expertise, especially as we're moving things away from the lawyers to the sales teams or the contract managers or whatever other internal teams, you know, asking them to do that without the same foundation is just going to create a lot of fear. And when you have that fear, you have that resistance. So I think offering training assuring the teams that they're not going to be expected to do more than they're capable of because i think that i know if that was me and i didn't you know i'm a graduated law school a year ago and i'm going to be thrust in the middle of contract negotiations and the counterparty says something you know when i was a new lawyer it was always like well let me think about that you know and then i'd go run and find somebody who knew the answer and so i think the speed of contracting with clms getting implemented it's that human factor we have to remember and especially not necessarily the lawyers but the other people who we're shifting all this work to those are the people that it's you know it's going to take more than just guess what you're now in charge of this we really need to focus on that training making sure they're comfortable
1: yeah and, and i think you know something else when you say being comfortable right i think that there's two parties that are negotiating contracts. It's it's always been done the same way, right? It's in Word. You're saving it somewhere, hopefully not on your desktop. But now with these these CLM tools, you know we're starting to see or have seen that there's a lot of automation that can take place. So when it comes to negotiating, how should companies look at that, and 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 what can be automated during that negotiation process? Is it is it simply just? you know having a system that can keep that audit trail and show you the latest versions of the documents what does that look like best practices you know is there somewhere you should start and maybe try to work towards or does some of that need to stay manual
4: yeah i think it's a lot of it depends on your leverage because if you're able for example a lot of companies won't negotiate their terms if it's under x dollars i love that because it's really saying to the i mean even though in We want to be nice. We want to help the customer. We want to give them what they want. But I think having bright line rules that like that really do help. And then, in terms of like the manual, they'll always be manual because at the end of the day, there's, you know, lawyers' favorite phrases. It depends. (laughs) And how there's too many factors. It doesn't depend on five factors, it depends on 100 or 200 factors. And lawyers being able to automate that through a system that is active and accurate it's, is what I think we're not going to be there anytime soon. I think we can make progress. We can automate. But I love automating low-level contracts. I love NDA automation, things like that, where at the end of the day, as long as it doesn't have terrible stuff, who cares? That's kind of how I feel about it. I love putting out forms and saying, this is our form. You're going to sign it. If you want to do business with us, and starting in a fair place, that's great too. So those are the kinds of things I think we can automate. But again, it's, you have to have people who know, who understand how to make those risk decisions in this process.
3: Right, and I would say that in our experience building CLM implementations, we've seen that some customers, you can have the best technology. But when they want to automate complex contracts, you get to start from there, yeah. right? Because a lot of the times the commercial teams, if you want to make them self-contracting departments, but they don't understand what a, what a class means, it's going to be hard. And it's always going to go through through legal, right? So I think like one way to start the implementation of your contract is just like, Work on the on the, the the design of the contract. So it's easier for the commercial teams to just like you know use their playbook. So whenever they start doing a negotiation with a new vendor, so they can have a way on how to make it way easier, right?
4: Yeah, and I think that's right. And I think that's again, you know, I think of when I've been able to strip down contracts to a sh- shorter number of pages, it's because I know what's important. I know what the risks are, and not because I, studied a class or somebody taught me some academic thing about how limits of liability should be, it's like, oh, okay, after my lifetime, I've seen this is where all the disputes happen. You know, they happen in payment, they happen quality of product or service, they happen in termination. And then only then do we get into indemnity and limit of liability. But the operational things and having people trained on the operational things so they know where the real risk is, that's you know, going to be so important. But if if we can train the people who are doing the contracts and negotiating them on those real risks, not the academic risks, but what is this company with these products and services, what do we really worry about? Then that's going to be the, such an important step towards enablement and getting to shorter contracts because they don't have to, you know, say in two pages, all this extra stuff when it's not a big risk.
1: No, I think that's great. And, you know, thank you so much. I know we've talked about this in more depth on the podcast before, but appreciate you coming up here and, and uh, sharing your just crazy amount of knowledge that you have, you know, with everybody. Um, does anybody have any questions for Laura before we we move on?
5: Sorry, this is more of a soapbox than a question. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really irritates really, really me. When I hear somebody say we should have a cut off based on how much this contract is worth less. Worth I've worked at Microsoft and I've worked at small startups and my attitude was always the same. Never take advantage of your leverage. Care about your customer. Think like a business person. Lucy said this earlier. Think like a salesperson. And, you know, now I work for a startup in the healthcare industry, for example, and I've been told this. Sorry. It's not worth this you know not to us for us to negotiate this contract with you and i'm like but i'm protecting healthcare data i can't give you a right to use that data i don't have that right with my clients mm-hmm. i can't buy your product right you want not at least negotiate that with you. yeah and it's a frustrating position to be in and i've said many times i didn't treat people this way when i was at microsoft yeah. because it was customer first yeah and so i just don't want people to think in your contract management program that setting rules that make it difficult to have a win win contract with your customer is is smart, and if I were a business person, I would be like, <laughs> we need a different lawyer,
4: yeah. No, and I hear you. And I think it's, it's nothing that I've ever done where we always had lots of options and optionality. I didn't just have a straight, but I'm seeing it more. Not that I'm advocating for it, but I see companies have numbers because it's the scaling. If they've got one lawyer who's processing 5,000, 10,000 contracts a year, how can they negotiate each contract?
5: That's why you have playbooks, and that's why you push them out to business. Mm -hmm. And when you have some of these issues, like, "Hey, this is a five thousand dollars contract, but she's asking for three things, and these three things are required because she's regulated by HIPAA." Yeah, you know, let's be reasonable.
4: Yeah, yeah.
5: I mean, I've even been told, "Look, our board of directors passed a rule that touch a contract if it's less than fifty thousand
4: dollars,
5: yeah, okay, you're going to be in business for a long time."
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I hear you. I hear you.
1: Well, that was great. So we really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, Laura, thanks for coming up, having a quick conversation with us. Thanks a lot, Laura. Our next guest is going to be Debbie Hoffman. Hello. So thanks for joining us, Debbie. Maybe just give a, a quick background on yourself. Sure. So I've uh,
0: been in-house attorney as a GC, as a company that got sold to a, in a, a global M&A transaction. I started my own blockchain technology consulting company. And then most recently, where all of this really came into play was at Western Union. Um, I headed up, among other things, uh, the procurement, the legal procurement side of things.
1: Great. And... At Western Union or or any of your previous organizations, were you part of any CLM implementations?
0: At Western Union in okay. particular. The prior role that I had years ago, we didn't have such great CLM options. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and what what is that process? What did that look like? Is it is it still ongoing? Is, are you currently using the, the tool?
0: Yeah. So it took about a year to get it up and running. Okay. Everything that's been said in this room, I've lived it and breathed it pretty much, except for the, you know, like the continuation is is ongoing and it's it's never done. Right. So that's kind of I can talk more about that to whatever extent you have yeah. questions. Yeah.
3: Can you like just like give us some examples on like how was that vendor choosing process? Like how do you know when a vendor met all your re- requirements for a CLM?
0: So that's a great question. I wish I could have said said to you, we picked this vendor because they met all requirements. <laughs> a lot that has been said today is about partnership and stakeholders and so in developing that relationship, basically, our procurement department said, Okay, these are the three CLMs we want you to look at. I gave them one more because I had heard of one more. And they kind of they looked at it, but they didn't really see it. So I had a choice of three. Very expensive, fairly inexpensive, and probably middle of the road. And I'm just saying price because I'm going to be practical for a minute. Because when it came down to it, I would have loved the ones with belts and suspenders and that had everything, of course. But my CLO said, You know what? Debbie we're not going to pay for this right now. And you're like what we need I, everybody in this room knows how much we needed this. So ultimately it came down to the procure the chief procurement officer said, "Well, you know what? We'll all pay for this." And it's a minimum investment for the cheapest one, so we're going with that and that's what we went for. Now, it's fine, but to pick, I you know, I can't say that I had a pick on I had a lot of choices. <laughs> yeah.
1: And do you think, you know, with the tool that you're using now, do you already see that you might be outgrowing that soon and need to to look at something else?
0: I think the the biggest issue we have the tool we're using now is wonderful and i don't want to yeah. say it's bad but the biggest challenge with it is that it doesn't come with a lot of help so when we talk about people to help you implement and to the the it aspects of it and the building the templates and the playbooks we did all we have to do all that internally ourselves yeah. and so that made it less expensive but makes it much more challenging to continue to build it out
3: time consuming
0: time consuming and having dedicated teams and having people in procurement or IT say hey i don't have time to build out this additional playbook which we need in here or to you know to train so when you do that all internally it just takes t- yeah it takes time
1: and who internally owns the is there is there a system admin that, that's on your team? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Technically, yeah, the lawyer, the the lead okay. lawyers and on my side. And then there's certain procurement people on from the procurement side. So the great news is I would say this is one of the best partnerships I've ever seen in my career between and between legal and procurement because we both knew that we needed it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, you know, something that we're starting to see in this space is that there is a need for managed services and and having an organization that you can outsource the upkeep of these CLM tools to. And, you know, whether it, it be something maybe a lighter application like what you're using, or, you know, if you do go for that expensive option, I think it's more, even more important that you have somebody on your side to help you configure the tool because that cannot fall on the internal team. Right. You, there are more important things for you to be focusing on throughout the day than I got to create this new template in the system and you know, I'm the one doing it. No,
0: 100%. And what I would tell like the all the CLMs in the room is if you can tier your pricing mm-hmm. so that those of us in-house could say, okay, well, we're going to start with step one, yeah. but then yeah. maybe we'll get two and three later when everybody sees how great it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely something that our partners do and are aware of is is they want to make sure we everybody always talks about you know having a phased approach right to this implementation right let's get some quick wins let's get our foot in the door and make sure that we can get user adoption to get these teams excited about actually using a new tool that they're not just going to throw in the closet and never
3: use and try to email legal again
1: right exactly. um yeah perfect <laughs>
3: <laughs> no and and when you talk about that adoption you you know it's a lot of training it's involved and when you have a very complex system training can take forever Right, yes. So it's it's better just to go with the low-hanging fruit, like say a central repository with all of your contracts, then go with the workflows, then go with approvals, and then go to the contract post-signature, the con- the management post-signature. Right? right. So these questions, Debbie, I would like to have your Viewpoint from the customer side, right? Yes. Because I think like one of the main issues is to have you know unexpected surprises, and this is an art, right? When you work as a consulting company, because you need to build SOW, so yes. this is what you're paying for, right? Yes. So what would you say, like, what's the best way for a consultant of the CLM implementation to understand the client, to know their needs?
0: So that's a great question. And I actually have a lot of questions back about that. All right. Okay. So when we did this, we've been talking a little bit today with my table. We had our policy, which we talked about. So that was our baseline. And we we built that out. It's building the playbooks to know what are your positions. And I think I'd love to know, like, know more about how, others build their playbooks. And so we partnered with an outside counsel to help us. And we had to literally like work with them hand in hand so that they knew our internal positions because right. they didn't know. So I do think it's really challenging when you're in-house to have the bandwidth to build your positions to build these playbooks. And I think, so I I don't know that I answered your question, but that's (laughs) that's kind of, I have a question back to your question.
3: Well, I would say that I think having pre-built models, I think that one right now, like one of the main trends in the implementation on the CLM is focusing on verticals, right? Because it's not the same intake forms from a biotech for than a real estate it, company, it. Okay. a finance company. Yeah. So it's easier because if you're getting all your contract requests by email or fax, right. maybe you have no idea how you can make it more efficient, but you have like models of different intake forms Got and it. the information yeah. that they need for different contract types. That's going to make...
0: A hundred percent. You have it. to have all the different... And so we didn't start with all of our different models. We started with like our basics. And then as we... Again, over actually over a year, then you realize okay, your wish list of the specific. We, I mean, one of the things I'm going to focus on here is it was contingent labor contracts. So, we, where do we have contingent labor? We had it at Western Union all over the world, yeah. but we looked at where did we have those contracts most often and started with that, and then later built out some of the other countries. But we didn't say, oh, we need to have contingent labor contract templates for every country. So you can't do that at hello.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, well, we only have a couple of minutes left. I think we could talk about this forever. But <laughs> any questions for Debbie before we we wrap up? Okay, I guess not. Okay, well, thank well, you. Well, thank you. And for everybody that, you know, that's out there, I don't know if any of you have heard of our, our podcast. We, we specifically talk, we have over 50 episodes that are just related to CLM we've also had laura on to talk more tactically about how to to work with contracts and negotiate them and what should be a part of them but everything that we're talking about today are are things that we have discussed on the podcast so feel free to to scan our qr code over here and it'll take you directly to the site and and you'll be able to also find us on spotify and apple but uh, appreciate you all giving us your lunch time to have a conversation with everybody and uh, thank you so much Right.